0: Our message today comes from Mark chapter 10. Hear these words James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism that I am to be baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John, so Jesus called them and said to them You know that among the gentiles those whom they recognize as their ruler lords over them and their great ones are tyrants over them But it is not so among you but whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all For the son of man came not to serve but not to uh, be served but to serve And to give his life a ransom for many this is the word of god for the people of god thanks be to god
1: there are five atlas stones in the world's strongest man competition Uh, they look like this if you've ever seen them before i hope you have they range in size from 100 kilograms that's 220 pounds for those of you keeping track of the metric system at home all the way up to over 200 kilograms. That's 460 pounds. The weights kind of differ depending on who makes them. And the the objective is to hoist the stone up and put it onto this platform. That ranges depending on what year in the world's strongest man competition it is. Anywhere between like 36 inches to 40 some inches. And uh, when it was first introduced, into the world's strongest man competition, it was almost impossible. Like, you just couldn't do it. It was never about getting all five stones up. It became uh, sort of like who could go the farthest, right? And now it's, uh, you have to be able to get all five up to compete in the world's strongest man, but it's timed. So uh, in 2018, the title of the world's strongest man was this guy Half Thor Janssen, right? Literally half Thor. That's his first name. His parents had high hopes high expectations from Iceland. You, you might better know him as the mountain from uh, Game of Thrones. He was literally the world's strongest man in 2018. But in 2019, he lost his crown after four events in the Atlas Stones, and it boiled down to an American whose name hopefully I can get, Martin Zeligis of the United States and Matiz Kyselkov of Poland. I think I butchered that last name because I'm not Polish, but I did my best and this is what happened. First and second place, absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. When I think of uh, strength, when I think of power, I think about the world's strongest man competition. I think about the amount of torque that your car has, and how it goes from zero to 60, and how fast, or whatever it is, or how much you can pull on that tractor. We got a Kubota at the farm, and that thing can pull a ton. That's what I think of when I think of Power and strength. And we see the the quest for power and strength all in our society in lots of different places. I know you're still watching that because that's pretty amazing as opposed to me. Like, I can't can't do that. I don't know if anyone in this congregation can either. (laughs) It's amazing. We see the quest for power all over our society from CEOs who uh, push hard to get more product out and to accomplish this from dictators who rule with an iron fist. We see power and struggle with children in their playroom or on the playground. The bigger, tougher kid comes over and says, no, this is mine, I'm taking it. See it all the way through high school, people who still bully other people and exert their power over others. We see it in the elections, wondering if these people are being elected to be public servants or if they're being elected to wield power. Power and influence are everywhere in our society and we measure it. And I'm I'm left to sort of wonder, is it a good measurement at all? Should we measure our lives by how powerful you are? How many Atlas stones can you lift up, right? How many products have you pushed into the marketplace? What does your portfolio look like and how many stocks do you have and what are you um, accumulating in terms of wealth and power? I wonder if power is a good measurement at all. And I don't think it is. Because you can be an amazing CEO and push out tons of products and have great end of year uh, reports and still be a terrible person. You can be a very powerful politician and wield great influence and still be a very terrible person. You can uh, be a very powerful kid at school or in college, or maybe you're the the president of your class and you can still be a terrible person. I really don't think that power is a good measure of how we should check if we're doing well or not in life. Power cannot be an adequate basis for measuring our life. Our passage today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and a discussion of power is being had They're on their way to Jerusalem. We will recall that the disciples have been with Jesus for a number of years. Let's just say three. We don't really know how many. They've been uh, with Jesus for a while. They've been hearing him talk about the kingdom of God. It's the thing that he talks about the most. The second most popular topic is money, and then goes on from there about a few other things. But the first thing that Jesus talks about more than anything else is the kingdom of God. And so they are driving, right? (laughs) They're in the car. They're heading towards Jerusalem, and there's some discussion in the back seat amongst the children, right? They are talking, and they say, yo, Jesus, when you come into your power, can we sit at one on your left hand and one on your right? Like, can we be, you know, like your VP and your chief financial officer? Is that okay with you, right? And Jesus, uh, he might be a little frustrated because this is not the first time he's had to talk about this with his disciples. They're on their way, and Jesus is going to usher in the kingdom. What they have in their mind is that they're going to get to Rome. Jesus is going to oust the Romans and set up some new Davidic kingdom where Jesus rules as God-emperor on the throne. And that he's going to have all of his people around him with different roles and responsibilities of his God-kingdom there in Jerusalem. And this is what they're talking about. They've talked about it before. In Mark chapter 9, they are arguing who among them is the greatest, which is hilarious, right? These guys are fishermen. They failed rabbi school. They're following some other guy who doesn't even have any education. And they're saying, like, I'm the best. I'm one of the best disciples. And then they're arguing, and Jesus says, you all have it all wrong. And he brings a child, sets the child on his knee, says if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to be like this. And then they don't get it because they're dense like you and I, right? It's okay. It takes some time, multiple objective lessons, and eventually they'll understand it. So they're arguing about it here again, and they will argue about it later. They argue about it at the Last Supper when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. In that day and age, uh, you would travel, of course, by foot. If you were wealthy, you could travel by a uh, Lexus, also known as a chariot, And uh, if you were really wealthy, right, you could travel by something nice, like an airplane, also known as like a camel, I don't know. You would not accumulate the dirt and dust and let's just say filth all over you as you walked about the city and the places. So when you got to where you were going, your destination, it was customary for the servant to come and clean your feet so that when you sat at table, it was a much more pleasant experience for everybody. This role was reserved for the lowest servant in the household. This was not like the head chief servant's role, right? This was the lowest, lowest, lowest servant's job. And so when they get to the Last Supper, literally at the door, there is a wash basin and all the disciples file in past it and they look at it and they say, I can't do that, that's not for me. I'm not doing that at all. That's below me. There's no way I will serve like that. And then Jesus says, let me show you what it is to serve. Jesus strips off his garments, which is shame in that culture, time, day, and place. And he stoops down and he washes the disciples' feet. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's serving one another. Jesus, God incarnate of all people, literally washing animal crap off people's feet. That's what serving is. That's what Jesus models for us. And that's powerful because the disciples are over here bickering. Can I sit on your left hand and your right hand? (laughs) When you uh, create that God kingdom, is it cool if I like have a lot of responsibility? Can I like be the best of all? Jesus says, it's not about that. It's not about that. That's not how you measure your life by accumulation, by more and more and more. What if Jesus wants us to see that this life is not measured by what we accumulate, but it's measured by what we're able to give away? It's measured by what we're able to give away. How will your life be measured? The disciples, they thought, like you and I, perhaps, that their lives would be about kind of giving or getting more and more and gaining more and more. And so that when Jesus comes into his power and maybe like their 401's mature, that they can take those nice vacations. They can build the house by the Sea of Galilee and retire and have it nice. But it takes some time for the disciples to recognize that this is not the vision that Jesus has for the kingdom of God. And maybe like you and I, we need to be challenged today to hear the words from Mark's gospel, afresh and new. As a pastor, one of the things that I have the, uh, really the burden of doing is uh, preaching at a funeral to summarize someone's life. It can be quite challenged to sit down with someone you don't know or a family that's maybe been here a few times or even families who are pillars in this community, and you sit down with them and you have to say, okay, how do we best celebrate the memory of your loved one? It can be a challenge, certainly. But I can tell you that I've been to a number of funerals at this church and other churches. And I know for a fact that I've been to funerals where the place was packed out more so than any CEO of Forbes, Fortune 500. These were quiet saints who lived their lives in such a way that modeled service and sacrifice to the community. And those around them they realized that their life was not about accumulating more and more and more and it was never about lining up with how society measures us right society measured us measures us by our tax returns right how what's your uh, adjusted gross gross income they measure you by the car you drive or the clothes you wear or the business acquisitions that you get what's your your net worth they measure you by all sorts of things but it's the the kingdom of God that turns that upside down and measures it in an entirely different way. Rather, the the measure of our lives is in our acts of love, our acts of generosity, and our acts of service. And so the strange thing for me, and I wonder if it's a strange thing for you, the strange thing about being a Christian is that our lives are weird, right? Right? they are very strange because we have this sort of inverted societal worldview funnel thing where everything's sort of put upside down. It's not about accumulating. It's about giving. It's not about acquiring power. It's about kneeling and serving one another. And that stuff doesn't look really good on a spreadsheet at the end. It's hard to sort of measure that in quantifiable ways that make us look very important, because Jesus probably looked like a fool at the Last Supper when he did what he did. Those disciples all argue about know, who's greatest, and then Jesus pulls up a kid and says, "It's supposed to be like this." They go, "I don't understand." What is it that Paul says that the gospel is foolishness to those who are preparing, uh, perishing? it's something that we cannot quite understand but when we situate our hearts and ourselves under the words of uh, jesus and the gospels it begins to change who we are it changes how we act in the world and so my, my challenge to you and to me this week is to look for one opportunity to serve someone this week just one right if i ask you to do it three times that's too much if i ask you to do it seven it's too much it's too hard Just look for one opportunity to serve somebody, anybody this week. Now, if you do that this week and you do it next week and you do it every week for the rest of, let's say, this year come around in 2021, right? That'll be 52 sort of selfless acts of service. Now, imagine that all of us (laughs) did that. Right if we worship around 200-ish people, 50, you're talking like a thousand, maybe maybe even more acts of service in this community. Imagine how that would change not only our community, but how it begins to shift and change your heart when you focus on serving others and not accumulating more and more power. So may we be the type of people? who relinquish and give back power as an opportunity to serve and not those who hold on to it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.